Hey guys, it's Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Hey, listen, if you know me, you know that 316 Creative Works exists to partner with artists, businesses, and churches. Uh, one of my good friends is a business guy. It's the Maynard family, and they run a business, and now they're in partnership with us. So that's Precision Door Service. Listen, in case of emergency, I always call Precision Door Service. They are experts in repairing, replacing all your garage doors and overhead doors. They can be reached. They got two numbers. The Indiana side is area code 219-306-8155. Again, 219-306-8155. Now, on the Illinois side, uh, Precision Door Service can be uh, contacted at area code 708-474-6657. And number again is 708-474-6657. You can always get them at precisiongarage-door.com. That's precisiongarage-door.com. Of course, we'll probably have Justin throw a contact card up there for you so you guys can see it if you're watching this. Again, this is Clayton from 316 Creative Works introducing you to another member of the family, the business of precision door service. Thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks. So an amazing thing uh, is happening right now. Just so you guys know, we're we're doing number four of talking with Jason. I promised to try to never do this ever again. This is a lot. It's a lot of Jason. But you got, but you got, you. You got a lot of story though, bro. So before we get too far into this, and we do have to land this plane right right now. Um, uh, Larry and Sandy, Justin, Esther, Danielle, guys, thank you so much for continuing to give and support and work alongside 316 Podcast. I'm Clayton from 316 Creative Works. This is number four, talking with Jason. Uh, you walked into a door called full-time pastoral ministry. And uh, 2003, four. I joined the staff in March of 2004. And do you go to seminary for something like that, or do they just knight you and you you become this ordained something? I was just knighted. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, I I give a lot of credit to Faith Church. They look at uh, the calling and the gifting, mostly of people, and then get uh, the training that's needed. And um, for what I was doing when I was hired, the first full-time children's person, um, had had enough training to be able to do that. Uh-huh. Um, do you eventually go to seminary? I did. Yeah. Uh, eventually I did through a twist. I thought I was going to go for a master of arts and transformational leadership, but God switched that to an MDiv and I still wasn't, I was still doing connections and uh, U-turn ministries things. And so I felt like God was just calling me to go to seminary for my own yeah. development and what he wanted to do in me. So that started in 2006. How long did was seminary? Five years. 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. So you graduated in 2011. Correct. And now you're you're a pastor. You're like you're you you have a degree that says pastor on it. Yep. And did you get that from uh, Holland from the from Hope College? 
No. So um, I had applied to Bethel Seminary, uh, again, thinking I was going transformational leadership, but then God switched that to MDiv. So then I stepped back to say, okay, well, God's calling me to get a Master's of Divinity. Where is he calling me to get that from? And I weighed the options and talked to people and felt like God was leading me uh, to Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, um, so that it was outside of kind of the Reformed bubble. And And it's, again, you being independent and doing what you want to do, right? Nobody (laughs) else does this. Well, it was affirmed by people. I didn't just go rogue and do my own thing. Your mom and dad dropped you off at the train station in Rockford, and you drove up there. No, I drove myself. You do understand the, the weird patterns there, though. Correct. Right? I mean, it's kind of what God has placed in you, put in you, and even as a child, he continues through the remainder of your life, right? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty. So uh, five, five years of school, uh, you drive up there every day? No. Uh, it's a distance learning program, but twice a year, you would go for two weeks at a time. So two weeks in February, we'd always head up there Super Bowl Sunday, we'd be there for two weeks, and then we'd head up in July, be there for two weeks. And then also... Uh, because I wasn't going to a seminary that was a part of our denomination as a church, I also had to take classes from them. So uh, it was gone about six months over that five-year period of taking classes. Did you love it? I absolutely loved it. You love learning. I loved learning, Theology. and the cohort that I was a part of are still some of my closest friends today yeah. from all over the country. Uh, just huge blessing in my life. And even one of our professors uh, continue to reach out to him if I'm stuck on something, if I need help, or um, even just for doing life together. So in 2011, you, you graduate. Is this something you just graduate from? And do you, do you take a, like a bar exam? And Yeah, you have exams that you have to take from the, uh, from the denomination. There are seven exams you have to pass. And so over <laughs> about three years, I was taking those seven exams, and, um, and then you get ordained. But I had actually already started pastoring a church in 2008, uh, our Valparaiso location. I was placed in charge of launching that. I think if you, if you can manage landfills, right? You can definitely you manage, can manage a church. church right? You're right. It's not the same thing, right? Uh, how was that experience? In Valparaiso, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a good one, and it definitely was stretching and another learning experience and um, figuring out how to navigate those waters and to be um, really a, a church planter, um, starting with a group of maybe about forty people and trying to be used to grow that and you know being in charge of a facility and all sorts of things. It was stretching. Um, but you didn't stay there because you, we started this four episodes ago saying that you are the pastor of Faith Church in Highland, Indiana. Yeah. So there came a time that you moved, right? Valpo, did it explode? Did, it, did you close it? Did you just move from one place to another? No, Valpo was going. We, we probably didn't launch it well, and we had some issues along the way, but it was a really good, solid group of people that was reaching a community, and God was doing something there. And I had raised up an apprentice um, to lead and help develop there. And in 20. 
2012, the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, First Christian Reformed Church of Highland came to Faith Church and said, hey, we've looked at our future and we've realized we have three options. We can keep doing what we're doing and eventually we won't be there. Uh, we can try to turn this thing around on our own and we're probably seven years from seeing the fruit of that. Or we can ask an outside entity like Faith Church to partner with us, come alongside of us to kind of jumpstart that change. And uh, unbeknownst to you, we voted and we want that third option. And so Faith Church wrestled through, worked through that and said, we have no idea how to enfold a 104-year-old church from a different denomination, but we feel called to do that. And Figure oh, out, right? by the way, Jason, we think you're called to do that. So it's a bigger landfill. Your your apprentice will <laughs> your apprentice will take over uh, in Valparaiso, and you come and lead in Highland. And so, have been doing that since 2013. Good move. Absolutely. You like it very much. It um, has been a wonderful blessing. Really? Yeah. When you, it, my experience has been when you enfold a church that has a very long history. We have people in their 90s. This is the only church they've ever known. There can be some baggage sure, that sure. comes along with that, Everybody. but there are so many blessings. They know how to serve. They desire to serve. They know how to give. They desire to give. And selfishly, they know really how to treat a pastor well. We have been so well taken care of there as a family. It's been unbelievable. And again, it seems like God is saying, Jason, I got it. Stop. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, Full-time pastoral preaching, teaching ministry. Is it good? Absolutely. You love it? I do. There's rough days. Yeah, absolutely. But I really feel like it fits uh, my giftings and my abilities. And um, it's been a tremendous blessing. Is it seasonal or is it your life's call? Based on the previous three episodes, right? right? We're on episode four. I think I have learned along the way to know God has plans that I can't even imagine. And so along the way, I have worked really hard not to do this with my ministry and my plan, but instead to be very open-handed for him to lead wherever he wants. Yeah. Um, There... There's cha- there's work challenges, there's there's ministry challenges, and then there's personal challenges. Um, as long as I've known you, you've always been honest with me, but you've always been very nice. Hmm. So I never hear you complain. Um, professionally, you, you've never complained. Um, Corporately, the you know the work that you do as a pastor uh, in a within a larger church, you've never complained. Never heard you say a bad word. Personally, I've never heard you complain. Um, but something started in your family uh, when you were nine, and it went away for a little bit and came back when you were twelve or uh, seventeen, sixteen, seventeen. Uh, and then it went away again. And what happened with your little sister? Yeah, her cancer came back in her late 20s, and then uh, she passed away in her early 30s. Yeah. Um, 
dark days? Yeah, it was really hard. I was actually um, in an intensive in seminary, and she wasn't doing well. And I knew my parents would never call me and tell me to come home. So I charged Kristen and my brother Kyle with that. I said, if it turns, you need to let me know. And uh, we were playing basketball one afternoon after classes and um, got the phone call uh, that she wasn't doing well. She was at Northwestern. And in half an hour, I had all my stuff packed up. My friends had prayed for me, and I made record time getting straight from St. Paul to downtown. And um, she came home for a little while in hospice care. Uh, But then um, it was a Tuesday morning. I was in a management team meeting, and uh, Leanne Mass knocked on the door and said, your dad's on the phone. And you knew that call was coming. Yeah. But, oh boy, there's nothing, right? Uh, I want to punch you in the face right now for making me cry. Because <laughs> right? it, it, not only does it stir up uh, all your story, but it starts to stir up my story. Sure, right? absolutely. So, you know the call's coming. But nothing as hard as actually getting the call. Right. What did you do? I got my stuff, I got in my car, and I drove to my parents' house, which is where she was, um, and just went to be with my family. Yeah. Your big family or your little family? Just the, my mom, dad, brother, you know, sister-in-law, just Kristen, small family at first. We've had, um, we've had loss in our life. Um, some of us have, have lost um, parents, spouses. I've not lost a child. I can't imagine the, is it despair, or heartache? I, I, can't, I can't imagine your, your spirit, your emotions losing a child. But you saw your parents lose a child. Now, they're Christians. Now, I, I know Nick and Karen pretty well. They're amazing people. I mean, the, you know, the things that you say about them, you are not making it up. They were heartbroken uh, and crushed. And it's been eight years? Uh, it's probably been close to 10 years. They're still heartbroken. Yeah. But they have a savior that they know they will see their daughter again. Maybe it helps to sting a little bit, huh? Yeah, it does. I would say from my observation, it probably took five years. It probably took five years for them to return close to what I knew from before my sister died. They wouldn't decorate for Christmas. Yeah. They wouldn't. And before, man, Christmas all over the place. Christmas full of hope. And, and after she died, there was no more hope for a while. And it was hard, too, to watch them. People had told them as they were going through it, uh, unfortunately, you're going to realize who your real friends are. Mm-hmm. 
and to watch them both lose friends, which was extremely difficult, but also gain friends. It puts them in a in a fraternity that they never really wanted to be in. Nobody wants to be in. But there they are. Yeah. And and there is a fraternity of people who have lost children. And they have been able to help others. Yes. Absolutely. And so when did she die? What year? Uh, I think she was 31. So that would have been about uh, 2009, I think, 2010. So probably the the darkest season of your family's life. Yeah, absolutely. 2010. But it wasn't much after that that you had to make a phone call. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in uh, 2014, uh, I found a bump on the back of my calf, and um, I had made the decision uh, before just watching what my sister went through and knowing that we had access to world-class medical care 45 minutes away downtown, that I was going to switch to have a doctor at Northwestern and found this bump on my calf. And I talked to people, and they said, oh, it's over the muscle. It moves around. It's nothing to worry about. Right, because to be fair, <laughs> I've got some bumps, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, hoping, assuming they're just uh, one too many cheeseburgers, right? I mean, right. I have some fatty lumps, right? Not a lot. There's one or two. What's the difference? So um, I'm like, I want it checked out. Uh, even when I was in um, the biopsy room, some of the workers were like, why are you even getting this done? I'm like, well, you know, my sister had cancer, <laughs> yeah. and I want to make sure that it's nothing. Yeah, you're just more attentive. So um, and then uh, a Wednesday night, I was on my way home from Faith Island. It was raining. I was turning from 45th uh, on to Calumet. And my doctor called, and he said, it wasn't what we thought it was. It is a leiomyosarcoma, which is a very rare and aggressive cancerous tumor. You're driving home from church, from your office, yeah. from, from the job that you've been called, and you get a, you get a call on yourself from, from your doctor who says, you have cancer. Yeah. Did you cuss? I, I don't think that I did. <laughs> Maybe. Did you cry? But absolutely. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Pull the car I, over? Uh, no, no, I drove it all the way home. Um, and then, uh, you know, had to tell Kristen, and we went into the basement and our kids were either in bed or just going to bed. So we're like, now is not the time to tell them. But then, yeah, realizing I have to call my parents and my brother and my in-laws and, you know, my sisters-in-law and brothers, you know, and then we got to tell all these people. Are you concerned? I mean, nobody wants to say here that they have cancer, but are you, are you just kind of thinking, we'll cut this thing out, man. Well, you don't know, right? You don't, but if your doctor's calling you at 8.30 on a Wednesday night, it's you're concerned for sure. Um, and then the next day he called back and he said, I have a world-class surgeon. 
um, who's going to take this out. And, you know, if his office doesn't call you by 4 o'clock today, call me. And uh, got into the surgeon and was able to uh, eventually have the tumor removed. And it took, a, uh, it took a skin graft to close up. So that took five days then in August of 2014. So, <clears throat> so it must have been a big, pretty big hump. Yeah, it was a good-sized bump. I don't remember the exact size. So you're fine. They cut it out, and you're good. You're fine. Yeah, for about three years. Three years. I was fine. So uh, they say you're cancer-free after five years? Correct. And so you would go every six months to get a a something, a test, blood? Yeah, they start every three months, and then as they're clear, they start to lengthen those out. But then about three years later... So prognosis is good, feeling good, uh, scans are coming back clean, and you're like, we got this thing beat, we're good. That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would say we got it beat, but you're feeling good about it. Yeah. Three years later? Three years later, found a bump in my abdomen... Turns out, same thing. So just on your stomach, yeah, not inside, but again outside, like under the skin, just under the out, skin, outside of the yeah. muscle, right? Yeah. So they check it and like, oh yeah, yep. So then they remove it, but really that was an outpatient procedure, and then um, and then things started to kind of escalate and show up more quickly, having tumors. Uh, on my liver and uh, in my lungs, and then uh, have even had one on the side of my head. So, um, so, so the last two years has been pretty active. Then, correct for you, correct. Um, last Friday. Um, you, you did something. Yeah. Last Friday I had my first chemo treatment. So, um, in my last scan in like October, there were, um, there were some more, uh, tumors on my, or no, October was clear. Actually, October was clear. Um, there was nothing new. And everything that has been treated was shrinking. And even one on my liver that they hadn't treated yet was also shrinking. Uh, but then I went back and my latest scan showed that there were new, there were like four new tumors on my liver. And my oncologist said, uh, we can't just keep treating them individually as we radiate them or take care of them. Not only is it killing the the tumors, it's also killing healthy tissue on your liver. So we need to start chemo. And you agreed. Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's, and it's weird because this is a hard, all all chemo is, is hard, but this is a hard one. Yeah. This one is nicknamed, uh, Red Death, right? Or maybe the Red de- Red Devil. Red Devil. Yeah, I always call it Red Death, and Kristen always corrects me and says, yeah. "No, Red so Devil." Now I'm the Kristen of the family. So right? it's <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, it's not it's not good. You can only get so many doses in your lifetime, um, and so the the hope and the prayer is that this is 
going to work. Yeah, and, and and that that really is it, right? I mean, because again, I've got right. I mean, God's got to be saying, "Jay, hang on, I got it," right? I hope so. Sometimes it's really hard to hear. It's hard to hear him say that, but I do trust that he does. Um, I'm so I'm so moved. I'm I want to I want to talk more about this. So we are going to cut this podcast off and we are we are going to do a no one we're, we're going to invite you and actually we're going to invite your son justin to have a seat at the table and we're going to continue talking about this challenging reality um but before we go and it's been such an honor to have you here there's a couple. Th- there's just so many things that I still don't know about you. So one of my uh, greatest heroes in life was was James Lipton, who was a, an, an acting teacher. And so, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you James Lipton's um, barrage of questions at the end of his shows. Do you mind? No. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Jason, what is your favorite word? My favorite word. Wow. It's gonna sound. <laughs> it's a family show. Yeah, it's gonna. Well, and it's gonna sound cliche, but I'll have to say my favorite word is salvation. Yeah. What is your least favorite word? Moist. Every everybody's least favorite word. <laughs> uh, what turns you on? And it doesn't have to be weird. <laughs> I don't write the questions. I just ask them. What inspires well, and what, you? Oh, okay. What, what inspires you? However, right. Yeah, seeing people get it, yep. whatever it is, watching them come to new realities, new realizations, new ownership of who they are. The light bulb turning on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what turns you off or uninspires you? Rude people. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Uh, boat motors, water uh, water from waves, waters at the lake. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Screeching, yelling voices. You've had a lot of professions, but what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I'd be the TV director for the Super Bowl. Uh, what profession would you least like to have? The guy that cleans out porta johns. Yes. And finally, if God exists, and we believe he does, what would you love to hear him say to you as you hit the pearly gates? I think the longing is just to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, right? Brother, I love you. Thanks so much for coming to let us talk with Jason. Guys, we're going to switch gears uh, just a little bit here. We're going to have a seat at the table with Jason and with Justin. But thanks so much for checking us out at um, 316 Podcast. I'm Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Uh, We love you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks. Hey, this is Clayton from 316 Creative Works talking about our podcast. Listen, if you like any of this stuff that you saw or you heard, I'm going to give you a couple places where you might find it besides coming in live to the Farmhouse Studios. There's a couple platforms you can find these on. Um, So you can check out Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and SoundCloud. So for the cheap seats in the back there, let me say this one more time. You can go to Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and SoundCloud. You can find it under 316 Podcasts.